It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a The Streak is Over edition of Locked On Raptors. It's episode number 315 of Locked On Raptors. It might be 316, I don't know. Um, of course, your host Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. The show is on Twitter as well at Locked On Raptors where you can find links to every single episode. Uh, and make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Team focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. You got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd for your daily fantasy during the playoffs. You got Locked On NBA with David Locke. And then a whole wider range of the Locked On hosts who are doing daily shows on that podcast feed as well. And they're all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Um, if you're interested in what happened in a game yesterday, you want to hear about how the Pelicans are going to win the damn title uh, because Anthony Davis is a monster, go listen to Jake Madison on Locked On Pelicans today. Uh, there's lots of different things. You can find on the network hosts that you might find that you dig and you want to subscribe to their show separately. And if you find a show uh, like Locked On Raptors, for example, separately on its own iTunes page or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or all over the damn place, uh, please leave a rating or a review. It's the best way to help out the show. It shows that you care uh, and makes us more popular, moves us up the rankings, makes us visible, all that good stuff. Uh, and uh, to new listeners, uh, I'm sure there's probably a few people who are tuning in for the first time because of the playoffs. Thank you so much for tuning in. Very much appreciate it. Uh, let's get to today's show. Joining me today, I was going to do this last night at the arena with this fellow, but uh, the weather was insane and I wanted to get home before my car got snowed in at the GO station uh, or iced in, whatever the hell it is. I guess because we have new listeners, I can provide your credentials from Sportsnet and North Pole Hoops and Raptors Republic. It's our pal Vivek Jacob. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. The curse is over, and 
Raptors can move on to bigger and better things. It feels kind of gross that the curse is over, I gotta say. I'm like 10% sad about it. It was kind of a cool, weird thing. Um, it was made better, I think, by the fact that they had won some series after losing Game 1, so it didn't always feel like it was a death knell the way it did maybe back in 2015 or 2014. But yeah, it is ultimately very good that it's over. It's It, it was a ridiculous streak. Uh, it was a source of ridicule for everybody. And no, the Raptors, 114-106 over the Washington Wizards in Game 1. We're going to dive all into that in today's show. We're going to talk about the lineup choices for Dwayne Casey. We'll definitely talk about Bebe being a godsend in the fourth quarter. We're going to talk about Scott Brooks doing some dumb stuff. Uh, Kyle Lowry, DeMar Rosen's performances. We'll just get into everything from this game. Uh, but I guess we should start this with, you know, the, the lazy, hosty question I always throw to you at the start of uh, these podcasts. But it, it helps to sort of just guide the conversation. Vivek, what's your biggest takeaway from Game 1 against the Wizards? Biggest takeaway is Kyle Lowry in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This is what we've been waiting for. Uh, the rest factor throughout the regular season, him playing five minutes less per game, not really, uh, Dwayne Casey not really using those Kyle Lowry plus bench units that we've become accustomed to over the past few seasons. And then with the game on the line, with no Fred Van Vliet, he goes to it. And once. Pirtle came out of the game, and Nogueira came in as well, and had possibly the greatest, you know, what was it, one point, one rebound, one assist performance yeah. of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really changed the game for me. You, you looked at what Lowry did on both ends of the floor. Uh, defensively, you know, he was picking up Bradley Beal, spent some time on John Wall. Offensively, whether it was him playing off the ball and bringing things up for DeLon Wright or even when he was on the ball, you know, getting the ball off the glass or, you know, just constantly pushing the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that made a huge difference in the way the Raptors were able to execute in the fourth. Yeah, he was incredible. The play where he went verticality on John Wall in transition is one of the craziest defensive plays I've ever seen live. Um, mm-hmm. Like, just so perfectly executed i believe like a refing official with the nba like complimented kyle on his verticality today or something like that or last night because it was so perfectly executed and i think more so than the offense his defense was kind of the difference in this game and sort of the difference between kyle lowry's of game one's past and kyle lowry of of apparently today um his defense on john wall so he was guard sorry on bradley beal was incredible he was guarding wall for most of the first half and it wasn't going particularly well. Wall was kind of carving up the Raptors. He had 15 assists. Although, after the excellent piece that our friend Jacob Mack from Raptors HQ wrote this week, I'm never going to look at John Wall assists the same. I'm always just going to look at them as, like, Rajon Rondo assists at this point. That's probably not fair. Uh, read the piece on Raptors HQ. Jacob Mack wrote about Kyle Lowry and sort of comparing him to John Wall to see what I mean there. But either way, John Wall was having a really good first half and was carving up the Raptors. Second half, they kind of switched up a bit. OG Ananobi goes on to Wall. Does a pretty excellent job. I think his length kind of bothered him. And then Lowry on Bradley Beal. My God, he was just in him the entire game. They, like, did some weird switching stuff. And there were some instances where OG ended up on on Beal or Pascal ended up on Beal. But all of them did really well. It was more the stuff that happened away from Bradley, Bradley Beal that hurt them. Um, but I thought that was sort of at the point of attack with Bradley Beal sort of trying to run the offense a little bit in the second half. Kyle Lowry did such an incredible job. And the other thing with him, too 
was that he, you know, most of this season, he's kind of just settled for threes. He hasn't driven a whole lot. He got to the basket in this game. You know, he only had nine field goal attempts, four of which were th- from three. That's still, you know, not, I don't know if I've seen a game this season where Kyle Lowry had more two points, two pointers attempted than three pointers attempted. Um, but he looked pretty sort of eager to get to the rim to either sort of carve up the defense and, you know, look for shooters on the perimeter or just go up for floaters and stuff like that. The shots that we know he can make over bigger guys, he's been making them for the last five years uh so i thought that was really great the nine assists that's probably maybe we can turn this conversation towards kyle and damar more as a whole damar with nine assists or sorry kyle with nine assists damar with six assists they had 15 i believe combined in the first or eight in the first half combined whatever it was uh it was excellent they they did a really good job of diagnosing the wizards traps and moving the ball out and not getting bogged down and turning the ball over like they have in the past kyle had five turnovers but I didn't really think many of them were like, you know, egregiously bad or anything like that. DeMar just had two, uh, despite having the ball in his hands a whole bunch. What did you think of the way Kyle and DeMar sort of deferred to everyone else in this game in a way that just was never existent in, in seasons past? Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting when you look at the first half. I thought they played quite well. Mm-hmm. They just missed a few shots that they normally make. And so, you know, when you just look at the box score and you see them missing shots, you if you're not really watching the game, then you attribute it, uh, those past playoff performances again and sort of think it's the same storyline. But they were moving the ball. They were getting guys involved. You looked at uh, the way Jonas Valanciunas uh, started the game, mm-hmm. Serge Ibaka, uh, OG Ananobi knocking down the threes. And so that was really encouraging. And so it was just a question of them getting their offense going. And you look at DeRozan, the way he came out to start the second half, you know, you could tell that... Uh, he had decided that this, he was going to be more assertive in terms of getting his own, and he scored 12 points in the third. Uh, you look at Lowry as well. You know, he's going to play his all-around game. He only shot one for four from three, which is uh, kind of ominous for the Wizards because uh, yeah. he gets that three ball going. You know, it, it's going to be a real problem for them. The three he um, made though was like very much like an electric three to kind of boost the arena, I think. It was that one in transition. I think after DeMar had made one um, in the third quarter, but sorry, carry on. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I find really interesting, and I wrote about this in my piece for North Pole Hoops, is you look at that 2015 season when the Raptors got swept by the Wizards, and DeMar getting injured during the season, and Lowry having to shoulder so much of the load mm-hmm. that it broke him down for the playoffs. And now, um, you look at Bradley Beal, who, without John Wall for 41 games, has had to do what Lowry did in 2015. And now he plays 41 minutes in this game, seemed to be playing well, and then in the fourth quarter just completely disappeared, made one shot, one inconsequential shot, um, when the Raptors had a healthy lead. Um, so that is impacting him. You have to wonder how much John Wall really has his legs because he was great in the first half mm-hmm. and then just completely disappeared as well. So um, a lot of positive signs for the Raptors here. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy 
of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Yeah, I think so too. I think Demar and Kyle, you're totally right. I was maybe a bit hard on on Demar after his first half. I thought his the shots that he did take maybe weren't the most uh, intelligent shots. There were a couple ones that missed, but his playmaking was undeniable. And you know, he hit OG in the corner for a three. They were finding Jonas on the roll a whole bunch. You know, Serge was getting looks all over the place. I thought just like the way they were going about just kind of softening up the Wizards' defense by taking the traps and sort of just diagnosing them and letting other guys do the the damage like that's something we never saw last year and it's a chicken and egg thing right because we don't know you know had Demar and Kyle had more trust in Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll like would that have translated into better results for the secondary guys last year or are these guys like DeLon Wright we'll get to DeLon Wright good god uh Serge Ibaka CJ Miles are these guys just more reliable guys and sort of more worthy of the trust of Kyle and Demar either way it's just, I think this was a very nice example of the culture reset, blah, 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 kind of being on full display and Kyle and Damar actually having trust in their teammates, which was never a thing. And they talked about this and Damari Carroll talked about this when he left, how there was never trust between Damar, Kyle, and then the rest of the team. It was always kind of a disconnect there and it doesn't seem to be that way. They seem to kind of embrace getting the ball into the hands of these other guys. Like Serge Ibaka, he was 8 of 11, 3 of 4 from deep, 12 boards, 2 blocks. Like, that is worthy of trust. Like, that is something that you can count on. Um, and Serge in the playoffs is awesome, man. Good God, playoff Serge rules so hard. But, um, yeah, DeMar and Kyle were excellent. And I think uh, after the Rocky first half, you know, for their shooting... I think you could totally just be happy with the way they played and be comfortable that you know they scored 28 points on 28, 26 shots and the Raptors ended up winning this game. Everyone else contributed. Like There's still room for those guys to expand what they do in a game as well. And the more guys like Serge Ibaka and OG Ananobi and CJ Miles drain threes on the Wizards' heads, the softer the, de- de- the defensive coverage is going to be against Kyle and DeMar and the more they're going to be able to sort of spread their wings. So uh, very promising from that perspective. Uh, let's talk about Surge, I guess. Um, <laughs> like, we we were dumb to worry, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I was never worried. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, I think both of us are quoted on this podcast many times saying it's fine. Yeah. He's going to be fine. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, he has a playoff reputation. He's proven it over and over. Last year, he was arguably the Raptors' co-best player or second-best player in the postseason, so mm-hmm. um, till he actually proved that he wasn't going to bring it in the playoffs, I wasn't willing to bet against him, and so to see him open up uh, game one the way he did, energy on both ends, um, you know, whether it was setting screens, going to the basket, cutting to the basket hard, finishing inside, um, you know, just the one turnover, uh, everyone's sort of complains about his his hands and he didn't seem to have an issue in this one and you know defensively just control the paint you know there a couple of times where he almost had that Rudy Gobert effect where the Wizards seemed to just you know just go back out mm-hmm. so that was great to see and 
you know, offensively, I don't know if you can expect 23 points on 11 shots yeah. every game, but <laughs> uh, as long as it comes on those nights when Kyle and Damar aren't shooting great, uh, that's going to be an X factor for this team for sure. Sort of makes them look a lot more like a big three rather than, you know, a bunch of guys around uh, two. Yeah, so the sustainability of it all, I think, is probably if you're looking towards game two, like CJ Miles, I mean, him going 4 of 7 from three is not all that crazy. He's obviously been cold lately, but that's something you can maybe anticipate, at least sort of within the range of possibilities for him. Uh, OG, 2 of 4 from 3, doesn't feel that crazy. He's done that a lot this season as well. Although, I think more impressive than his 3-point shooting in this game was just like his like just razor-sharp cutting. Like, God, that uh-huh. guy's so smart and just knows exactly where to find himself. For like, There was the one play where Jonas got the ball on the roll and OG cut from the, the far right corner. This was in the first yeah. quarter, I think. And Jonas just hit him with this dart of a pass, like Pascal Siakam to Jakob Pertle-like looking pass. And, and OG had the reverse finish. And then later on, DeMar sort of posting up, I think it must have been Porter. Uh, actually, I can't remember who it was. I just watched the condensed game, and it was all just such a blur. Um, but, it, you know, DeMar's posting a guy up. He's, like, not far from the basket at all. OG finds this little kernel of space uh, coming from the, the far left side, and, and DeMar finds him for a dunk. Like, that was the most that impressive thing That was a surprising dunk. Yeah. I was expecting him to dunk that there. Yeah, not at all. Like, the hops on this dude, man, <laughs> they're real. They're very, very real. Uh, he's very explosive. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... While on the surface, you know, DeLon Wright going 3 of 4 is probably the most sort of outliery of all these uh, stat lines for the Raptors. But, like, I feel like you can probably pencil in a little bit more from Kyle Lowry from shooting from his shooting perspective. He was 1 of 4 from 3, as you mentioned. Um, and, like, yeah, DeMar's not going to go 2 of 5 every night, but he's also not going to go 6 of 17 from the field every night. I feel like there were enough ways in which... The like the Raptors overperformed some, you know, some of their season averages, but kind of underperformed others. That I'm not too concerned about the secondary guys, you know, having, you know, maybe they won't be this prolific with their shooting, but I still think they'll have contributions to provide, and they're not gonna, just going to turn into pumpkins because, you know, this is what it's been all season. Like these guys have been there to, you know, be good outlets for Demar and Kyle at all times. And, you know, I, I'm not too concerned about a huge fall-off. Maybe DeLon's the one guy. But also, DeLon was a 37% three-point shooter this season. And all the shots he got in this game were, you know, pretty wide open. And, like, those are the ones he's had the most success with. So, I don't know. What do you think about the sustainability of the secondary contributions? Yeah, so I think when I look at it as a whole, you know, you, what are the things that might adjust uh, over the course of the series? Um you look at the 16 for 30 shooting, mm-hmm. that's obviously on the high end. The Raptors are more around that 34, 35% mark. Uh, but then you also balance that out with the 17 turnovers because the Raptors aren't really a 17 turnover team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wizards are obviously long and athletic, and they can probably force more, more turnovers than others. And Otto Porter definitely wasn't at his best in this one, so you expect more going forward. But I think those are the things that will balance out as you, as we go forward. Um, DeLon Wright, I thought it was really interesting when John Wall said that he was surprised by DeLon Wright's performance, <laughs> almost as if he spent those 41 games sitting out not watching the Raptors. Um, <laughs> but hey, I guess the Raptors will take it. Um, so you look at DeLon with the 18, but you know if that becomes 10 from DeLon and 10 from Fred, uh, going forward, then you take that. And that's where I think the Raptors don't really have to worry about 
the contributions from the secondary just because that's the beauty of this team. They have so many guys that can get it done on any given night. You look at Jakob Pertl just finishing with two points. Mm-hmm. Um, you expect him to be better going forward. And, yeah, I don't, I don't really see too much of a concern uh, for the bench unit. You know, one thing I was interested to see was how much uh, the Wizards bench could withstand because mm-hmm. I do think they have a better bench than years past, partially because the Wizards bench of the past has been absolutely atrocious. <laughs> um, Trey Burke <laughs> is not exactly a high bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, Mike Scott had obviously had a good game with 14. I'm sure they'll do a better job on him, but Mahinmi had no impact on this game whatsoever. Uh, Kelly Oubre struggled. Uh, Sadoransky was pretty poor as well. So, um, do you expect them to be better going forward? That that'll be something that you have to look out for because Sadoransky is someone who's had a really good season, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the absence of Wall. So you expect him to pick it up, but. You know, if he doesn't, he's someone, you know, you never know with these bright lights, with the pressure of the playoffs, uh, you never know which guys can really do it. Um, and then the other factor is, you know, home versus away. Yeah. And role players, you know, have a ten- tendency of playing better on their home court. And so that'll be something that'll be interesting to track as Toronto goes to Washington. Yeah, I like how you said uh, Jakob Pertl is not always going to you know, only put up two points. Uh, he should bounce back. As if Lucas Nogueira hasn't just consumed all of his minutes going forward. I like, I like how you still believe in Pertl. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Bebe in a bit. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, Yeah, you mentioned Fred, and I think that is also sort of a thing to factor in here. Um, You know, Dwayne Casey said that he doesn't. He wasn't really feeling pain yesterday. They didn't want to take a chance. I don't really know how to, you know, read this situation. You know, shoulder injury, a concussion. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, but it seems like Fred's not too far from returning, and that is one thing that will sway back towards the Raptors. Like the Raptors did all this without their most trusted secondary guy, right? Like this guy's been uh-huh. the most steady guy and the best three point shooter and all this stuff for the team all season long. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned the Wizards bench. And we can get into Scott Brooks going four whole minutes at the end of the first and into the start of the second without one of Beal, Porter, or Wall on the court. And I think that that situation there is going to be one of the areas in which Fred coming back will really sort of lean towards the Raptors because, you know, in those minutes, the Raptors, I think, were a plus one uh, in the first five or so minutes of the of the second quarter. I think three and a yeah. half or four of those came with all three of the, the bad guys or all three of the good guys on the bench for the Wizards. Uh, and it was just all of their their lesser guys on the on the floor. Um, they were a plus one that that lineup with Norm Powell in Fred's spot didn't look particularly dangerous. The offense kind of sputters because. You know, you're not you're sitting there with, you know, really great creators w- without Fred Van Vliet in the lineup. You know, Powell was iffy at best. Like, he, it was not... It was a very Norman Powell game from this season and that he didn't really do a whole lot. Um, at least he didn't have any, like, dumb turnovers or anything like that, but he wasn't particularly impressive. And, you know, they kind of got by on their defense and got by on the fact that they were up against a lineup with all of the Wizards' bad players. But 
I think with Fred in that lineup, like that is a potential sort of spot in the game where if Brooks is going to continue to keep his three best players on the bench for four minutes at a time, which is insane, uh, and he did do it again later because Beal started the fourth quarter with uh, with the bench, but. Uh, like that's a little spot within the game, a little four-minute window in which Fred Van Vliet with that lineup that, and like them going to work and doing their thing might be more than just a plus-one advantage and could be kind of one of the things that swings the game a little bit more. So uh, that, I think, is is huge. What did you think of like the how they worked around on having Fred? Because I thought in the first half in particular, before Kyle Lowry started the fourth quarter with the bench, which, thank God, that happened, and it was such a beautiful sequence of events when that happened— um, I, I thought the Raptors and Dwayne Casey kind of struggled to find lineups in between their starters and bench, like their transitional lineups. You know, this has been a thing all season, right? There's not a lot of lineups other than the two staple lineups that they have a lot of data on, so it's kind of been a lot of mixing and matching. And I didn't think Casey did the best job of mixing and matching, but I also think a lot of that goes back to Fred being kind of the least awkward player to fit into any lineup among all the bench guys. So it, like, it becomes harder to make lineups that make sense when you don't have Fred as a tool to use in those lineups that don't that feature you know half starters, half bench guys. Um, but what did you think of how Casey sort of negotiated that? Yeah, I think in the first half, it was a bit of, you know, after the Raptors got up to that strong start, it was a bit of trying to find um, a five that could quell the Wizards' comeback after they made it interesting in the second. And so one thing that I think changes things, is I'll go back to Sadoransky, him being 6'7", mm-hmm. the Wizards can go a lot bigger. And we've noticed in the past that's something that the Raptors bench unit has had problems with when other teams go big on them. And so obviously they didn't get anything out of Miami. Um, Gortat picked up foul trouble on a, starting with a jump ball that I don't think I've ever seen before. So um, if they can keep him out of foul trouble and then go big against the Raptors bench unit, mm-hmm. I think that's something that Casey sort of has to negotiate. Um, so I'm with you. It was a little bit iffy, but I think a lot of it, was dictated by circumstances and so I think in general one of it is just one of the things is just going to be a general weakness for the bench when they go up against bigger units and then the other aspect was just missing Fred and Hmm. you know not having the full quota of guys that Casey can turn to yeah I mean I I think Casey overall like kind of coach circles around Scott Brooks in this game the decisions that Casey made you know sticking Bebe in after Pirtle like, I don't think Pirtle was bad. He had two blocks in this game. I did think, though, he was kind of playing a little bit higher than the centers normally like to. I'm not sure if that was sort of, you know, direct, uh, like, uh, on orders or if he was just kind of, you know, scared of John Wall kind of driving into him. I don't know what exactly it was, but Wall had a couple plays where he drove past. Uh, I think it was the end of the first quarter, start of the second, maybe. Uh, I think it was the end of the first um, where Pirtle picked up a, a foul and Wall got an and one out of it. You know, I thought he kind of had some trouble hanging with the faster Wizards guards, but uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't like, oh man, this game needs Bebe and no Pirtle, but like, I, I guess Casey saw something and it worked to perfection with with Bebe in there for those nine minutes to close the game. Um, what did you think of Bebe's sort of impact on the floor? Because again, you mentioned just like the the quietest or the loudest one one and one line of all time. But what did you think was the difference between Bebe and say Pirtle or, or Valanciunas that sort of allowed the Raptors to kind of break it open with him in the him in the game? I think again, it, it's it's always going to be his length, mm-hmm. just his ability to 
contest shots, even if you know he's getting bodied a little bit. Um, at the end of the day, when you're looking at the basket, you've got Bebe's uh, wingspan over you. It's just a tougher shot to make. And, um, offensively, the way he's able to move the ball, uh, obviously, again, you'd like to see him look for his shot a bit more when he's a foot away from the basket. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he, he created the three-pointer for C.J. Miles. That was big. He's always rolling to the basket. Lowry missed it on a lob, um, which was pretty uncharacteristic. That was one of his turnovers, so you don't really worry about that because nine out of ten times, I mean 99 times out of 100 times, uh, he's going to hit Bebe for that lob. So um, He's just sort of, you know, a bit of a freak compared to Pirtle and Valanciunas where, you know, he just plays so differently. And again, this is the beauty of the Raptors' bigs where each center provides something so different. You know, you've got Valanciunas with his strength. You've got Pirtle with his sort of nimble footwork. And then you've got Bebe who just sort of stands over you all the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's just it's just uh, an advantage for Casey where, you know, depending on what the matchup di- dictates, he can just go to different things. And I think... That was just a real trump card for him uh, in this game. Yeah, and like Pirtle's a very good passer. Valanciunas and Surge, not so much, although they've improved this season. But like you can just see Bebe as like a big man passer. And Casey cited this in his post game as like the main reason he had him in there. He's just like really smart, has a high IQ, and just makes really intelligent reads. And he had a couple just like gorgeous dart passes. One was to Pascal in the corner. Um, and then it might have been actually in the same play after the offensive rebound, or I think it was like a steal by DeLon and Kyle kind of teaming up for a steal, uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I think it was it was a very chaotic play. I think it ended with DeLon driving and dumping off to, to Bebe, and Bebe, perfect situation to just dunk it down, but saw Miles up on the wing. It just hit him with a dart, and, and, and Miles canned it, and that was kind of, I think... Maybe one of the more daggerish shots the Raptors hit in the game. That was, I think, with like six minutes left in the game. And like from there, it kind of felt like the Raptors cruised a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, just like the, the – there's a lot of energy around the ball when he's in. And, it, and it's really fun to watch. And he didn't make, you know, baby mistakes. He didn't pick up any personal fouls. Uh, he was a plus eight, which was beautiful. He was just uh, just a nice little spark of energy. I'm not sure how much he's going to factor in later on, although – if the Raptors are going to get sort of, you know, attacked at the rim a whole bunch by John Wall in particular, Wall was at the rim all game, and Wall was like 2 of 10 at the rim in this game. Not very good at all. There were some complaints about the officiating. Um, you know, the officials weren't amazing in this game by any means. I think they missed calls on both sides. The weird shot clock stuff where they couldn't really figure out what was going on a couple times. There was the Gortat missed uh, basket interference. But I didn't think the officials were like you know, horribly sort of affecting the outcome of the game. But um, with Wall driving so often, having Bebe and Surge in there in particular, a combo that hasn't played a whole lot, but when it's in there, it's just like, I likened it to having three 2001 Keon Clarks at the rim when those two are in because there's just so many arms, so much length, so much bounciness. Like, it's a really hard front court to score on, and I don't think the, the Wizards can really match it athletically. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more Bebe in the series. Maybe even, you know, and this has kind of been what I'm say, I've been saying the last few weeks, talking about how the bench is going to factor into the playoffs. Like, I think there will be some matchups where certain guys reveal themselves to be more useful than others, and maybe they just kind of take over, you know, a guy's minutes for a series and then kind of hit a refresh button on the rotation for the next series and kind of see what happens. But uh, the way Bebe played and the way I think Pirtle 
sort of struggled, especially in the second half. Uh, I would not be shocked at all if Bebe kind of eats into Pirtle's minutes a little bit just because of how he works in this matchup. Um, but yeah, he was excellent. If uh, We can wrap this up here. If you're the Wizards, what adjustments would you make? Like, Is there a single adjustment that you think would kind of help them blow things open a little bit uh, that you saw from Game 1? Like, If you're Scott Brooks today, like, what's the one thing you want to make sure the Wizards are doing in the next game? Uh, the one thing I, much like the Raptors, I mean, I, I didn't think the Wizards defended well in the pick and roll at all. Yeah. Um, you look early in the game, Valanciunas and Ibaka were pretty much getting whatever they wanted. So I think that has to be an area of focus. Um, maybe some of that has to do with Gortat, you know, not being able to be as aggressive with the fouls, but, um, I think that's an area of focus. And other than that, I think. You know, auto Porter is just really important to them. Yeah. If he's not, if he, if he's not a hundred percent, then this is going to be a much more daunting task to beat this Raptors team. Um, but they'll obviously be hoping that two days of rest will get them right. Uh, I think that's a big factor. Nine points, five boards, you know, one steal, but he never really looked like himself. So uh, that's something that I'll be paying attention to going forward. Yeah, I think he needs more than seven shots in the game um, and more than yeah. three threes attempted. The Wizards, I think, are going to have to try to... Like, Scott Brooks talked about this after the game. He's like, yeah, the Raptors shoot a lot of threes. Uh, you have to either stop them from hitting them or make a lot your own. And so I wonder if they're going to try to expand their maybe shot profile a little bit. And a way to do that is to get Otto Porter, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, more than three, three attempts from downtown. Um, I thought Cooper Smither made a really good point. Uh, in that the, the way the I think in the second quarter when the Raptors kind of lost that quarter that was kind of the, the roughest stretch of the game for them Porter was getting a lot of of looks kind of leveraging the attention that the Raptors were throwing to Bradley Beal and they were sort of getting Porter looks out of that there were a couple mid-range looks where you know they would run a series of screens and sort of I think there was one play I had to go back and watch it but DeLon Wright kind of got confused got bumped a little bit and then Porter ended up with like a wide open 12 foot mid-range jumper and, and, and canned it and like stuff like that I think they got to try to use a little bit more instead of just trying to run everything through wheel and uh, wheel and ball I'm going to do that so many times in the series ball wall and beal <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, I think that's uh, that, that's something they have to do for sure. I also, I wonder, I can't. It wasn't enough time to really gauge what the Morris Scott front court is really capable of. What did you think? So, uh, Marching Gortat picked up two fouls early. Then Jan Mahimi came in, picked up two fouls in like two minutes, and they were forced to go small with with uh, Scott and Morris. And I think the Wizards might have won those minutes barely, or it might have been even something like that uh, at the end of the first quarter. But it didn't feel like it was something that would be sustainable, especially like even against Valanciunas and Ibaka, who are obviously slower. Morris and Scott can kind of stretch it out a little bit. But I felt like, given some more time, Ibaka and Valanciunas were just going to punish those two. Like the the size and, and, and like disparity is just so pronounced there. And like if you're taking four minutes of a game to funnel your entire offense to two guys, Morris and Scott, who you think can maybe stretch out the bigs, like that's probably a win for the Raptors. Um, but like, what did you think of how that front court looked for the Wizards? Is that something you'd go back to if you're Scott Brooks? I don't know if it's something I'd go back to. I agree with you that I think over a larger sample size that it's something that can get exposed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may have worked just because it was sort of, the Raptors sort of stuck with a unit that wasn't really 
taking the game. Uh, so I, I think that had more to do with it than anything that bench unit that was in there in the second quarter didn't really have much of an impact. And then when the starters came back, the momentum of the game just wasn't there for the Raptors. So I'd be surprised if uh, that starting from that front court had, had much of an impact going forward. Yeah, um, there. I think there'll be moments where they can maybe test it out and sort of try to surprise the Raptors like they maybe did. But yeah, I think over the course of you know a longer stretch, the, the rebounding is going to be such a huge advantage for the Raptors. There, they're just going to punish them with offensive boards. Um, so I don't know if it's that if it's totally that sustainable. Um, last thing, if you're the Raptors, is there one thing you'd like to see Dwayne Casey maybe use a little bit more, uh, try to do in the next game to sort of. Uh, just kind of, you know, the Wizards are going to adjust somehow. They're going to do something. Like, is there something that maybe the Raptors could do um, before knowing what the adjustment is eventually going to be? Like, I don't know. If if there is anything, maybe there's not. But is there something that maybe uh, the Raptors could kind of bust out a little bit more going forward in, in your mind? Um, I think more than anything, it, it was just a mindset and just getting more comfortable in you know, playing this style, you know, I think uh, with Lowry and DeRozan, first playoff game, I think they were just trying to make sure that they stayed committed to the style, Mm -hmm. so it went from, you know, moving the ball to maybe being a little bit passive, Uh, but I think in the third and fourth quarter, they found a good mix of getting their own offense and um, getting the others involved, so I think more than anything, it's just the mindset going forward, you know, Casey's sort of referenced this multiple times where the Raptors this season have gone, uh, have had to make that mental transition from being uh, the hunters and being hunted. Mm-hmm. And so now, um, for the first time in in forever, they get to play with the, a 1-0 lead as opposed to chasing the series. So It's oddly uh, unsettling. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's super weird. Uh but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, for me, I, I think you probably stick with the formula and see if it carries you to another win. But I wouldn't mind seeing Serge and Pascal, that front court busted out a little bit. I don't think we saw it at all yesterday. Um, and I think that might be a little bit of a foil for Marching Gortat kind of just rolling down the rim, rolling down the paint and just owning Valanciunas quite a bit. I think there was a, there was a stretch in the second quarter. There was like three straight baskets that were all kind of the doing of Valanciunas just kind of being slow to get back. Maybe the added athleticism with Ibaka and Siakam it would be useful there. And also I think that could kind of you know expose Gortat a little bit defensively. Um, and I think you know that's been a good partnership. I think you could run that out against both the small Scott Morris front court or the starters of Morris and Gortat. I think that could like the Wizards aren't a particularly good rebounding team that line up in particular. So I think if you had Siakam and, and Ibaka, that could probably work against them if you wanted it to. Um, but that's like a thing to tr- maybe bust out later on. I mean, that's something the Raptors are going to have to use against a lot of opponents. So maybe they want to limit the tape on it as much as possible if they don't need it, because I do think that's going to be kind of their sort of bailout lineup at some point in these playoffs. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to see it because it's really fun when the, when they play together. But hey, I guess Surge and Bebe will do for now. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, w- I was going to just hit on the point that you just mentioned. I'm glad you covered it because... I do think that the Raptors are really saving the Ibaka Siakam lineup for Cleveland. Um, they they've only played one minute together against the Cavs, uh, and I think that's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I think with this series, they, uh, unless they really need to go to it, I don't think they will. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, 
I think that'll do it for this game. Uh, I'm going to do more. We talked a lot about the Raptors in this game. I'm going to have a podcast with Rashad Mobley of truthaboutit.net. Uh, probably going to drop tomorrow. We're going to sort of talk more from the Wizards side of things and what he saw from the Wizards and what they might uh, kind of have up their sleeves. So we'll talk to Rashad about that, and I'll drop that tomorrow. The podcast schedule is going to be a little weird during the playoffs, just a heads up, because the games are on a regular days, and it's not like a Monday to Friday thing. So there will be... Probably five or six podcasts every week. Just the days in which they come out will be a little bit random. Just look at when there's a game and anticipate a podcast afterwards. So uh, I'll probably have the Rashad one drop tomorrow morning. And then the next podcast will probably come after game two on Tuesday night. We'll probably record one from the arena there uh, with somebody. So uh, that's kind of the schedule we're looking at for the next few days at least. And then, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll do it. Vivek, anything you'd like to plug right now? Uh, just my game story from uh, the win over the Wizards, uh, just focused on Kyle Lowry and uh, how it was sort of a fourth quarter from him that this entire fan base has been waiting to see in the postseason. Make sure you check that out. Uh, I'm going to be writing today about something, like a longer sort of post-game thing. We have so much stuff on RappersHQ.com that I have a little more extra time to get this thing out, but uh, it'll be about last night and sort of how the Raptors played very much just like the Raptors. It felt like a regular season game almost, and that was good. Um, so stay tuned for that on RaptorsHQ.com. You can check out LockedOnRaptors.com. I'm not writing much there because my credential for games is not through Locked on Raptors, but we have a great staff of people who are writing some stuff. There's a roundtable up there, series preview. We're going to have a game notes today from Zach Worden. Uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff throughout the, the playoffs, lots of playoff coverage on LockedOnRaptors.com, in addition to the podcast, of course. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean, at LockedOnRaptors, at RaptorsHQ, all that stuff. Vivek is at VivekMJacob, and we will talk to you uh, tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Raptors, chatting with Rashad Mobley from truthaboutit.net, as I, oppose, as I uh, teased before. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. The curse is over. Everything is good. We will talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 